for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at TNTradio.live. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and a great segment by uh, Basil Valentine. Also bringing us some breaking news on a number of fronts. We appreciate his contribution as well. Now back to uh, the main stories here. Uh, Another big trend that's going to be coming up in uh, 2024, looking back at 2023 as well, was Africa was a big story. We'll be covering this more uh, in the coming days and weeks. Africa is shaping up as a major player on the new multipolar world. So when we look at the post-World War II world order, uh, definitely dominated, at least post-World War II anyway, dominated by the the Western Anglo-American-led bloc, and the, you had the Soviet Union on the other side. That was, the, that was the bipolar world order. And with the collapse of the Iron Curtain uh, in 1989 and then the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1990, you had the advent of the unipolar world that is a u.s led or anglo-american led hyper uh hegemonic uh, unipolar world order with the united states sitting at the top no real challengers and just look at what happened you had iraq number one then yugoslavia uh, twice actually and then you had uh iraq the iraq war you had 9 11 you had the takedown of libya syria etc now ukraine and so forth so that that that's been the unipolar world order that's the legacy of that i left out a bunch of other uh, uh regime change wars and destabilization color revolutions etc so like suffice to say uh it's been a disaster it's been a disaster for a lot of people so uh, now looking at the uh, 2024 going forward we see the emergence of a multipolar world um and what has accelerated this clearly has been the sanctioning of russia the bifurcation of the global economy through sanctions through cutting out russia through the swift system secondary sanctions economic warfare pretty much add that to the proxy war it's basically forced russia to look east so it's russia's looking towards asia so you have a whole economic system you have all the capital going east basically you have a lot of foreign investment money going east so what the west have done effectively by trying to kill russia as a country have uh, brought its brought itself to its knees uh, in terms of debt or economic performance high energy prices and the list goes on and on in the meantime they're basically spending money on military and so-called defense like it's going out of style thinking somehow they're going to win an arms race and bankrupt russia like they did the soviet union it's not going to happen uh it certainly hasn't happened quite the opposite is true you're seeing real economic growth uh in eurasia you're seeing negative economic growth uh in the west so clearly this has backfired this is again the trend of a multipolar war uh world order africa is going to play a significant role in this multipolar world order and so as africa begins to develop and you see initiatives like the BRICS countries, which was originally uh, Brazil, uh, Russia, uh, India, uh, China, and South Africa. Now other countries have applied to BRICS. We have the new BRICS Plus uh, network, and it's going to include uh, tons of other countries. And so what is this? This is a type of a G7. It's a type of a G20. So these are people who are aligning on economic interests, somewhat aligned politically, uh, and who are basically charting their own 
markets, cha uh, channels for uh, shipping, distribution, politics, communications, all of this stuff. So what we're seeing is the center of gravity shifting from the West and moving eastward. So Africa is moving very quickly. There's been a number of, uh, you could say, anti-imperial, anti-colonial uh, uh, coups, if you will, uh, in Africa, one of the most significant being in Mali. Uh, which we saw also in Burkina Faso. Uh, we have relations strengthening ties with Russia, weakening ties with the West or the former colonial powers like France, the Francophone countries in Africa. So what, while it would have been great to for the West to destabilize Africa through the Boko Haram's uh, through ISIS, uh, through arms trafficking, uh, through color revolutions, and just generally toppling governments, which the CIA did for many years. Um, now you have the potential for stability in Africa, and there's not a lot of profit to be extracted uh, from a continent that becomes stable and more independent, more self-sufficient, and, and a continent that's looking uh, east uh, and not necessarily looking to the IMF for handouts and then restructuring and then just more economic demise in that country. Then you have the brain drain. They send their best and their brightest out of the country. Uh, and now you have the reverse. It's, and now these countries are wanting to develop, wanting to improve the standard of living in those countries, wanting to have real industries and real opportunities. So this is where things are going to clash right now because that is not the Western model. That's not the WAF model. That is definitely not the globalist plan for Africa. So you're going to see potential conflict um, as well. Things could get very messy, but at the same time, these are resilient countries uh, over the years. They've been through a lot through the uh, colonial phase to the independence phase and then the uh, the neo-colonial phase, which has been basically massive destabilization, regime change uh, on a subterfuge level led by Western intelligence agencies. Okay, so now they're, they're potentially going to come out of that phase and into a phase of stability. Um, and the China is a big problem. So this is the whole reason why AFRICOM was started by the United States was to evict Chinese influence Basically, if you look at their founding documents, you look at some of their early documents, some of which have been wiped from the web, but we have, you can see to evict Chinese influence from Africa, that's what Libya was about in 2011, uh, and look at Sudan right now as well, uh, the destabilization of Sudan, there's a number of Western powers that are involved uh, in that as well. So everybody is vying for influence uh, in these countries. Uh, in the Sahel region as well, which is that band along the African uh, midway point there uh, from Sudan and over to uh, Burkina Faso and over to the west coast of Africa. This is the potentially the breadbasket for Europe. This is the future breadbasket for northern the northern hemisphere, for the so-called rich north. They're hoping that's going to be a colonial arrangement. And I think Africans have other things in mind. They don't want necessarily to be in a colonial arrangement with the Northern Hemisphere. They'd like to be on an equal footing in terms of trade, politics, mutual respect, and being allowed to develop and not having sort of, you know, climate policies uh, imposed on them that will prevent them from having this type of dense energy that's required to power a baseload for a major city for a modern economy. Okay, so this really comes down in the end to the Trilateral Commission, the World Economic Forum, uh, the Club of Rome, and all of these sort of 
European confabs over the years that have been focused on things like population reduction, uh, sustainable development, UN Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, when they talk about sustainable development, they mean no development for the so-called third world. They're saying, well, you know, we've made the mistake of uh, putting too much CO2 in the air. Therefore, you know, you can't be allowed to have what we had, which is a modern thriving economy. We're going to keep you down and we're going to use climate legislation, the Paris Accords to do all that. And we hope you don't mind and just enjoy, you know, drinking out of coconuts forever and just be African and be third world. And we'll be much happier and we'll feel safer. And Greta Thunberg will be happier in the Northern Hemisphere. That's basically the narrative. Narrative, uh, the subtext of pretty much everything uh, from the Rio summit in 1991 all the way to the present. And we had the latest climate confab, which Christian James, who will welcome onto the program in a few minutes, but uh, COP28, I believe it was in uh, the United Arab Emirates, in Abu Dhabi. Um, so they're still trying to carry this program forward, uh, which is controlled, sustainable development or no development for some of these poorer countries, while the the rich north, while they virtue signal on climate policies, they're actually burning more coal uh, than ever in parts of Europe um, because of sanctions against Russia, because of some of these policies have left them with no choice over reliance on wind and solar and so forth. It hasn't delivered shutting down nuclear power plants in places like Germany and literally firing up a bunch of coal plants. I mean, you couldn't make it up. So it's, these policies are completely schizophrenic. They end up adding to the cost of basic energy to power your home, your business. It's pushing industry out of Europe. They've relocated to China. They've relocated to the United States. Big brands, Volkswagens, Siemens, BASF, the major, the core of the European industry. Much of these operations have fled Europe because of this increased cost, because of these exact policies, and because of the West or U.S. insistence anyway uh, in, in severing any trade or political or any relations between Europe and Russia, okay? The result has been, let's face it, folks, it's been a disaster. So that's what's happening. Africa is going to emerge out of all of this as a major player. So countries like Ethiopia have, you know, strong Christian uh, heritage as well, Orthodox Christianity even, there are links with Russia, other countries that also have former Soviet links in Africa, these republics. You're going to see more activity, both politically and economically as well. So this is going to get very, very interesting. And this is where things are, again, going to clash. Uh, there's Western powers that are not happy about this. So keep your eyes on this. The other is the Balkans in Serbia. Perhaps we'll talk about that in the next segment. Actually, we got a special guest who's going to break this down for us uh, in the next day or so. Either on Friday, we'll have him tomorrow. A major geopolitical analyst on this topic is just one of the best, or on Monday. We're going to work on that behind the scenes. Make sure you've got the right up-to-date information on that situation in Serbia as well. A color revolution, absolutely, 100%. The West are trying to do a Maidan in a different way uh, in Belgrade. Anyway, let's take a break right now with TNT, today's news talk, and we'll connect with Christian James, our research assistant, on the other side. Stay right there. 
TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And, and I, if I, I I can say, you know, you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food. There's nothing to eat in there. I very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places. And if you go into the supermarket, there's only the first two aisles that have got real food. The rest, it's not food. And I see what people buy. I've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys, not them, don't get all excited, but I have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying and it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenagers' brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age. Kate Shimarani on TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular, we can build that. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness, lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to TNT Today's News Talk. We're now in number two of this live broadcast. Thank you guys for coming along with us. And again, when we're talking to Basil, everyone's doing these kind of year in review segments. Uh, I want to sort of continue that theme with our research assistant for the show, Christian James, joining us right now from the UK. Christian, I hope you've had a good break uh, over the holiday season. I have survived the holiday season. I've survived the Christmas shopping and uh, the new year comes in earnest about, what, six days away now. Uh, yeah, I'm, thankfully, I'm, I'm still here. I've survived another illness over the Christmas period. Uh, we're doing okay. It's uh, it's all right over here. The shops are still full of all the Christmas tat that they're trying to get rid of. All the all the markdowns in the shops of all the turkeys are still going on. Um, yeah, but it's, it's been all right, actually. Patrick, how was your Christmas? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, yeah, we survived. We survived. Too much sugar. Too much sugar, yes. Christian. Yeah, that's one of the problems. But uh, anyway, we're going to try to correct that uh, in the next couple of days. But um, it just uh, everyone's doing these year in review segments. And, you know, I know you've been pre pretty much, you know, on most stories over the last 12 months. You know, you've been on it pretty hard. So you've been able to kind of like, 
you know, order them in your in your mind as to have, what, you yes. think, what, what do you think are the most significant looking back at 2023? Like what what would you be sort of if you were to write the chapter for 2023, where would you start? You know, what, where would I start the chapter? Perhaps as a, I looked at this earlier on today, I took a few of the news stories that I've looked at over the course of the year. There's a few exceptional ones that happened at the very, very beginning of January that we really have to talk about, I guess, is that, of course, in January the uh, the 5th, there was the, the President of the United States, Joe Biden, of course, was found to have the second set of classified documents found at his house. And the, uh, the White House had to acknowledge that discovery in heaven on NBC News. There was Extinction Rebellion. Uh, they pulled away from doing all their public stunts and so on. That happened in the first week of January. Uh, they shifted all that focus of all the orange coloring and all the kind of active demonstrations that they were doing. That got shifted over to their sister organization, Just Stop Oil. Um, Extinction Rebellion as such now only do public protests in kind of these walking silent marches that are kind of spooky that I think they're intending is part of their uh, method in their madness. Um, and for those who lived in the UK, January actually was a situation where we found ourselves facing what potentially was energy blackouts. In fact, it was a worry here that I have because our energy at this house has actually blacked out three times in the last two days um, due to the storms and situations that are around here. So hopefully, hopefully that's not going to happen while we're broadcasting. But if I drop away spontaneously, that might be what happened. But it was blackout mania for the majority of January last year in the UK. Every newspaper ran it, every major news article and uh, press outlet was running with, uh, they were running out of coal, there wasn't enough energy. You could potentially do a scheme with the government where you could save energy on some days and expend more on other days in order to find the balance, really. Um, you could get paid by energy companies to have your power off. Um, that was something the kind of things that were rolling with last January. Um, so they're the things that tickled me for January. Is there anything that tickled you in that, that first few months, what they were talking about? Well, I mean, that was to me, the, the, the energy thing and the conflict in Ukraine, those two things for me, Christian go hand in hand. So, and that's, that's where I think this was a very interesting year as you start to see the, you know, domestic energy policies now in the West suddenly, you know, fusing with G big geopolitics, and yeah. and that happened. And listen, look at the look at the prices. And now, now, mind you, this this kind of began much earlier than that. I think you had those massive sort of spikes as well in like uh, I think it was late uh, September 2021. That's when you started to see big moves in like gas spot gas prices and stuff like that. Then the Ukrainian conflict just shot the whole thing over the edge in February 2022. Now prices had recovered somewhat on the markets, but I didn't see a big change in retail. We see this all the time, Christian. You see these like spikes, and then all of a sudden, they, you know, the the spot price, wholesale price comes back down, but the retail price doesn't. They just keep saying, "Oh, we're going to have to raise rates," and this has caused all sorts of problems, especially in the UK. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. And there's one particular story that I saw today that I'm. Um, I didn't catch at the time, but it really is important to what happened towards the end of the year. At the very tail end of December last year and going into January, there was also an attempted destabilization of the, uh, the government of Chad, uh, which is really intriguing because, of course, of what happened later on with uh, the other um, African countries, particularly on the Western side, they found themselves in major coups and so on. So there was a major coup that got 
thwarted, as it were, the very, very beginning of 2023. Um, the French government, as well as the Chad government, arrested 601 people um, going into that, who then faced a series of uh, trials. And the trials were actually conducted at the jail. Um, some, and that caused um, some frustration, certainly with the lawyers. They did want to not take part in that practice. They believed it was anti-democratic. They um, they refused to take part in the trial. The trial was still went ahead anyway without any legal representation for their people who were the ones that were arrested. Absolutely atrocious situation they found themselves in over there. So that um, that whole kind of... Um, and they were, as the press said at the time, were military-led. They were uh, human rights activists-led. Um, they were the ones who were attempting the coup over the Chad government. Now, that is exactly the same kind of phrasing we then saw in all the other African nations that have found themselves uh, in a situation of destabilization. But that really was the first one, and that happened at the very, very beginning of January, and that led clearly to many more happening throughout the 2023 that have took the headlines. And then just moving on uh, into the spring and summer, uh, there were a number of other international stories that started sort of dominating um, the headlines you mentioned, or we mentioned previously Africa as well. That became a major sort of set piece that a new kind of geopolitical front opened up uh, in 2023. And all of a sudden Africa became relevant again. It was the most extraordinary thing. It was like the reverse domino effect, if you will, of the sort of neoliberal takeover of of the continent. It seemed to be going in reverse. <laughs> they started kicking out uh, Western military forces, like the French forces, for instance, being kicked out of Mali uh, and wanting to sever their ties with all these sort of Western countries that are, you know, rapaciously uh, siphoning off all their wealth uh, from these countries. So then Russia moving in as their sort of friend in the neighborhood as it were uh, so this is interesting and sudan as well the destabilization of sudan which is all going to come to a head uh in the summer and it's going to lead us to the fall but uh, your comments on the spring and summer yeah the um I think the one aspect of, of the spring that really stood out to me uh, was the um, situation that happened in Turkey, Syria, with the earthquake that happened, I believe it was in the March, uh, where obviously Russia um, gave a tremendous amount of assistance to Syria and Turkey also found themselves blocked. There was a situation where Turkey had found themselves selling um, uh, munitions to the Ukraine, so that also gave a lot of tensions in that situation. Uh, but no, I think in March there was a situation where um, Lagarde, Christine Lagarde, she's the president of the European Central Bank. She gave a video conference call that was sort of a prank call um, where she confirmed the name of the digital euro. Uh, it's going to be called Peace and was going to be a Peace card was then given as a physical interaction payment system. And famously within that um, uh, press th that she gave out, that, that, that call, that uh, Zoom meeting, um, she um, she specified that there will be a hard limit of 1,000 euro cash transactions across Europe beginning from the 1st of January 2024, um, with values above 300 uh, being flagged by the government. And she admits then that digital currencies will be a mechanism of control, that they will start out with small control. And you know where that goes. That goes into total control, tyranny, and a shutdown of money supply if people don't comply. Um, back also the, the, that that time of the year, if you can remember going into the shops, uh, butter, you know, one kilo tubs of butter had security tags on them. Um, they were, um, because they reached 10 and 15 pounds for a, a tub of butter, unheard of, going out of like since, since like the end of the war. 
Um, there was uh, there was a massive shortage of eggs across the UK for Pancake Day in February, going into March. Uh, there was nothing available for Easter. Uh, there's a massive situation where farmers and farmers markets were, were faring better to sell their produce directly to customers. Uh, there was a report that came out of the National British National Farmers Union, I believe, um, that said that there were 7,000 less agriculture-based businesses in the UK because they'd found themselves shut down to, due to the uh, the economic climate that they found themselves in, or the soaring costs, certainly coming out of um, the November, the December and the January. Um, and they, again, the media blamed that particularly on Russia and the situation in the Ukraine with the rise in energy prices and uh, the electricity costs per that. Um, so we found that there was destabilization across all kind of base foods in the UK and certainly across Europe. There was, um, I spoke to a local farmer, obviously, because where I live, I'm really close to Greenbelt lands here. And I had spoke to a number of individuals regarding their, their farm prices and their livestock. And they found that the supermarket um, chains that were buying up their stock uh, basically was still hardlining them to sell uh, even less. So it was the money it cost to take it out the ground, the whole uh, the process of having to pay a person like 15 pounds to take it out the ground, the whole processing. And then they were forced to sell it at retail and next to nothing. And uh, it was forcing those farmers obviously out of business. And that also then tied into the fact that the government um, in the UK at least uh, was still following the European line of reducing by 30% uh, all agriculture across the country. Um, and that shifted into that, that perspective going, so are these things in synchronous? Are these things intentional? Are these things designed to strip away a country's infrastructure when it comes to agriculture? And uh, that was that obviously hit in, in the springtime, no eggs, no butter, or what was available was a vastly inflated price. Truly the, awesome. other the other story that you were uh, covering quite a lot um, was, well, there's two two of them. One is the sort of uh, the, the, the demise of the green energy sort of myth and the electric car as this sort of, you know, uh, utopic uh, tool uh, for green salvation of the future of mankind. You basically, and, and yourself and others, have basically shown and provided receipts, and everyone's basically saying this whole thing is a scam. Like, it doesn't add up at all. So it's all hype. I don't know where that's going to leave Elon Musk and his Tesla stocks, but um, it's you know the, the jigs up on the electric vehicle. Uh, the, all the claims that it was going to, you know, that it's green and it's going to, you know, reduce carbon and it's going to be cheaper and none of this stuff is true. And everyone's beginning to realize it now. That was a big story. When when do you think that, the, when does the penny going to drop on that, i.e. when is the share prices going to collapse on some of these companies? <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good question. What I have seen in regards to recent months, do you know the EG group, they are... Um, they own um, most of the petrol stations in the UK, the physical petrol stations. So you have like you know Shell and Esso, uh, and a lot of the uh, the supermarkets own the um, the forecourt technology, I, the the infrastructure of it. However, the EG Group owns most of them, and indeed the same in Europe. They find themselves in a bit of a squabble at the present time regarding energy prices uh, and trying to are they even a viable business any longer? Uh, because there now is a need to move over to having uh, electronic um, electronic vehicle charging points available on the, on the high street, really, uh, places where you can park up and charge your vehicle for you know 20 minutes, an hour to keep yourself going on the road. Uh, that's certainly something they're moving into. The, um, along the M1 now, if, you, if you've ever traveled along the UK's main motorway, there's now full-on uh, building of petrol, or formerly petrol, now uh, e 
electronic vehicle charging points, like massive kind of banks at the side of the road where the trucks clearly what are going to be coming online over the course of the next three to five years, that's going to be their charging points. They'd have to pull over, you know, charge up four to five hours at a time to get back on the road again. Um, the infrastructure is being built, but it's being built slowly. Um, that infrastructure they're saying needs to be in place by 2028. Um, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't also account for the fact that the, the UK's population growth you know, by that point and going into 2030, it still outstrips the domestic supply. Back in uh, March, I can remember looking at those, um, the national grid uh, for what they're looking to come online, what's going offline. And there was a distinct um, imbalance between what is going to be the energy demand versus the energy supply. And we were already pulling like um, six to eight uh, gigawatts off the continent because we simply couldn't uh, at any one time be self-sufficient. And I believe there was actually only one day in the whole of 2023 where we were actually only self-sufficient by our own energy. Uh, we've built these um, new fields up in, in in Scotland and off the off the East Coast. Um, they do not domestically to go online for any money. Uh, they are physically being built now, but um, it's going to be 2025 before they come online to any power. Um, so we still find ourselves in that position where we just do not have the energy requirements um, to sustain the present day, let alone what will be the future, and let alone the demand that's being uh, envisioned uh, of what we want. I'm sure Elon will do very well out of it, but uh, unless he's actually going to be the one building those forecourts, I mean, taking the money, I mean, it's just dead money at the moment. Um, I, I mean, even even that period of time, I mean, there was the Drex situation, which was the UK's largest power station holder. There was a whole scandal where they were found to be using um, Canadian uh, wood from the ancient forests, and then uh, <laughs> using it as using it as a tax um, uh, flip, basically by saying that it's using environmentally friendly wood uh, for a renewable biomass. And therefore, biomass, that yeah, they're them. calling they're calling uh, wood wood biofuels like ancient Canadian forest biofuels, shipping it across yeah. the uh, Atlantic, right? Getting double subsidies. That's right. Yeah, they were coming out with six billion in subsidies um for 2020 uh, 2022 they had six billion in subsidies um so the government then obviously that scandal went live and i think that was about april time um i'm not quite sure what happened from that i didn't see anything following that at all in any of the kind of uh, the business newspapers but it's certainly embarrassing for a company and a country that wants to promote its green credentials when in fact its green credentials really are it's still using canadian wood um and which is having to chop down in order to get the wood to do that so you know it, it was a scandal um and i don't quite know what the resolution was to that uh, at all it's awful really yeah, besides besides the green farrago uh is the surveillance issue the censorship issue we saw big moves uh with the european digital services act you've got the online harms bill in the uk you are covering this pretty closely christian uh number of segments we did on this uh breaking some really important information on that um so you know the, just just look back at that and then like where where do you think where are we now with that and where where do you think things might be headed in 2024 Hey, just remember, so it was it was that period of time again also that ULAS went online as well. The Oxford ULAS went live. Um, yeah, so, the ULAS <laughs> story was huge. Yeah, that yeah. was massive. And that that's continued to obviously gather um, a storm carried up behind it because, of course, you had the other cities following suit, um, certainly London, um, Birmingham, Manchester, Nottingham, Liverpool, etc., all going, well, this technically is free money to us for cargoes into our area. We'll take some of that money. Thank you very much. And I, I, I did read a report and it was out of Birmingham City Council 
and it said that they generated like, sort of like 117 million in the first month alone of that going live. So you know that is their cash cow um, in order to um, perhaps solve their situation that they're bankrupt. Uh, where does that go in the future? I, I'm not quite sure. I think that the, the, the governments of regional governments will obviously continue to use that process in order to build money up. Um, I think they've got to pay back their own debts. Um, they clearly made all these different governments have made a lot of um, poor choices in their planning. I, I think in terms of how 2024 will shape, I think you're going to see perhaps that that rolled out as a whole nationwide um, system uh, might, might well be interconnected, that might well be following an AI system, you know, um, live monitoring of cameras of people's cars, which does tie into the story that went live this past week, where the government wants to use the DVLA database uh, against the criminal database. So people in their car at any one time as they drive into cities, as they go into different areas, well, effectively, they will know that that criminal is in that particular city or in that state. So that tech is due to go online this week, actually. There was a debate in Parliament about it. There was a last week, sorry, there was a debate in Parliament that it's going to go live this week. And um, it, it appears to have been passed to make that happen. So we are now seeing a merger between different departments. I mean, exactly what we're talking about there. Um, you know, how will this surveillance state continue to expand? I think we will see a merger between the government ministries, the different departments, in order to make a streamlined, tyrannical kind of system, you know, top down for the sake of business or the sake of making money and uh, essentially monitoring who we are, what we're doing, where we're going, what we do and what we do it with. And so who we do it with and why we do it, you know, asking questions all along the way. And I think that will be our monitoring uh, and that will be the system that they want to roll out. That's where they want to get to, to monitor us at all times, at every day, every moment of the day. And uh, that worries me greatly, but it appears that infrastructure has been put in place on the back of the, the bio um, surveillance from, from the COVID practice. Um, and people were so willing to roll that out, to take the tracking devices with them at every moment of every day. Uh, people were very comfortable to be monitored for the sake of safety. And I think because of that, people are conditioned. People have that mental kind of a psychological, um, it's okay, it's worrying. Who cares if the government knows what's in my fridge? I'm going to use it. Um, and that appears to be the very simple building blocks of a surveillance state from the top down to, what again, what's in your fridge. Um, oh, and I think that's going to continue to roll out and expand. Yeah, that's the carryover from the whole so-called pandemic is all the artifacts of uh, of surveillance and tracking, biosurveillance, as you said, just general uh, technocracy, uh, basically, you know, everything you do, everything you buy, everything you sell, everywhere you go, what you consume, all of that um, is being monitored, metered, uh, data is being harvested, policy is being crafted around that data, and what's the end result? Is it more rights and liberties or less rights and liberties and i think we know what the answer to that is and that's where the real problem is i'm here with christian james our research assistant for the show we're going to take a break right now and go into the final segment of the final hour of this live broadcast i'm patrick henningson your host we'll be right back de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective winter is going to reclose in on europe and the united states the united states had a very warm christmas but if you looked at the weatherbell.com analogs that we put out back in March for how we thought this was going to evolve. A lot of this is based on our climate hypothesis having to do with the underwater geothermal venting that's going on. It predicted almost perfectly the Christmas temperature across the United States, with it being warm in the east and central part of the country and cold in the west. 
It also is predicting a cold January, February, and March, and this is coming for much of the southern and eastern United States. It's also coming for Europe. You folks in Europe, get ready. You can punch the clock. You're about 10 days away from a dramatic change, and there is going to be three to four weeks of really, really nasty weather in Europe. Because this is a retrograding pattern, we have something called the quasi-biennial oscillation, which is easterly. What happens is Europe will get very, very cold first. The United States over the next two weeks will be cold from about the central part of the United States, west, east, south, where it'll still be warm in Canada. Then the mother load comes into the United States later in January and February. So we're giving you fair warning now. There is a textbook stratospheric warming event taking place. It was already one. It is leading to the response that's turning cooler now across the United States. But the second one that is coming is the one that can really, really dump the polar vortex into the Great Lakes for a while later in January or February. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. What do I love about riding? It's the thrill. The excitement. Riding gives me a sense of freedom. I feel so connected to the road. Riding is like therapy to me. It makes me feel alive. Love riding? Back off. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. All right, folks, here we go. This is, welcome back to the final segment of the final hour here. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. This is TNT Today's News Talk. Big hello to everybody in the TNT chat room. We missed you guys. We missed you guys over the Christmas break. Hope you're all doing well. Hope little Carol had a nice Christmas as well. Hope you guys had a nice warm. I know the weather has been a little bit dicey in the UK. Christian, is it true that the weather is not the best in the UK? Is that a shocker for people? It's, it's true, actually. The, the weather here has not been good. So I think what it was, it was the tail end of a storm came over the UK yesterday. And uh, if, it is, if it is to be believed... Apparently, there was a tornado that went through the UK. Um, the tornado had caused a considerable amount of damage to roofs and uh, buildings, etc., to um, to rapture sort of kind of messages on social media and uh, the Met Office going, "Look, climate change! Look, climate change!" Mm. Um, but uh, I think this kind of year always brings a storm at this time. Um, I was certainly looking back at my own news feed from last year, going, "Yes, there was a storm on this very day last year." So I. Perhaps the, the ferocity of it um, is uncommon, but you know a storm at this time of year. No, that's that's exactly on, on point. That's what should happen. Uh, but well, it has caused a considerable amount of damage. Well, as we as we broke uh, as we broke from the summer to the fall, um, as summer summer was was when the whole thing, like the Ukraine uh, narrative, was just literally disintegrating before our eyes, and everybody's yeah. running for the exit door. Everyone's piling in on it, and then all of a sudden, the shift focuses from Ukraine, that disaster, which the Biden administration is carrying into the 2024 election, and to the Middle East, and all of a sudden, that uh, situation in Palestine, everybody thought was just going nowhere, exasperation, people were depressed about it. It just seemed like the world had forgotten about 
the plight of the Palestinian people, and all of a sudden that becomes the global focus from October 7th. And so coming into the final stretch of 2023, that was the biggest story, no doubt, perhaps even the biggest of our generation and we won't even know the ramifications of this for quite some time i think it's still in process right now but i think it has a potential to radically transform politics geopolitics even domestic politics uh in some western countries certainly in the united states that might be the case but definitely in europe as well so yeah your thoughts on on other other big stories coming into the final stretch of 2023 and of course the gaza situation go ahead Hey man, so when when we talk about those those fourteen hundred souls, later twelve hundred souls who died, of course, on October the seventh, which was declared, I can remember the press instantly going, "This is a this is Israel's Pearl Harbor, this is Israel's nine eleven, and the story that came from that about the uh, the munitions and the the rebelous cars that were destroyed and all that that came with that. Um, so this week, actually, a really strange. Um, bill is or rather a discussion is happening in parliament in fact um so they want to have a british jewish month so you know how you have black history month they want to now have mm. a jewish history month in uk and that's now being put up for discussion to happen i believe it's happening as a discussion tomorrow um that to have effectively having october next year as jewish history month um which part of that would be that every government building in the uk will be covered in the same way as Black History Month does and LGBT History Month does in uh, the flags of St. David, of, of, of uh, King David, sorry. Um, so that would be very interesting to see politically, geopolitically, is seeing the flag on every major government building, more so than it is presently in regards to the support for the war situation. Uh, this will now be, if it rolls through and if they choose to support this, which is uh, unlikely they won't do so this is going to be something they are going to go through with for next october um to have a jewish history month across all the major government buildings of the uk and uh, to see that flag everywhere will look rather ominous i think um as a as a as a plan to to keep us to keep the jewish topic alive i guess in in the public eye um so, which i, I that, that just fills me with this yeah, I don't want to say it's a bit the strange of what it represents. What it represents, yeah, it's, just it's a bit strange, Christian. I think I think it's like you know when all the Ukrainian flags went up like immediately uh, above every like civic building and even the small hamlets. You'd go and see the town hall or the local um, community center, or whatever. It's got a Ukrainian flag up the pole. Um, so and this is just to me a very similar sort of phenomenon where they feel like they have to uh you know uh, brandish a flag um and and you can even you can even extend that analysis to the rainbow uh the promoting the rainbow flag for the month of july i i just see to me it's about flags and it just seems to me odd that you know a european country like britain or you know france or would would then co-brand with another country but on what basis like why are they doing it is it because they have real mutual interests nationally or is it because the lobby within that country has an outsized influence and and financial power and political power to you know transform politics in that country i think britain's in kind of trouble in there because if you look at the fact that uh, the last labor leader jeremy corbyn was the most popular by the numbers anyway was the most popular in history and he got run literally run out of the party in the space of like 12 months um because of a fake uh anti-semitism scandal uh 
the same with Ken Livingston and the same with uh, Chris Williamson. Yeah. So sure. uh, like that, so that's like, you know, that's not insignificant in terms of, you know, a foreign lobby's ability to um, influence domestic politics in a, you know, in a powerful country. Britain is not, is a leading country. It's a UN security council member. It's, it is still a, a major power um, uh, among, among major European powers. It's still in that top tier. So that's not insignificant. So what you're talking about here is I think even it might even be a step up uh, from the Ukraine situation, which is kind of dying down now. But it just seems the obvious conversation we need to have, Christian, is why can't there be a ceasefire and why can't the bombing stop in Gaza? Like, why do they have to divert and to overcompensate? So, no, we need to do more about um, raising, you know, uh, or showing our our loyalty towards Israel. Uh, we need to have Jewish uh, History Week and all this other stuff. It just seems like a deflection from the obvious story. Go ahead. No, I, I what you said there was your last word was deflection. That's exactly what it is. It's it's a way to uh, virtue signal the movement of uh, support for Israel. And you, you you spoke very eloquently there about the fact that there is such a powerful lobby system within every UK government party, particularly the, the we're talking about the, um, the Conservatives and the Labour Party, there is considerable Jewish power within those two uh, leading organisations within the UK that are our two primary political parties. Um, and that, you go, so do we support them more than our own uh, domestic policies and uh, and i think we're going to see potentially a yes um that that ceasefire we, we were talking about there let's stop the bombing uh, 293 mps voted against having a ceasefire and that's just incredible to think about we're supposed to be a leading country a leading voice in the world yeah we are actively choosing to go no we we kind of want it to continue because that of course is our bread and butter for our economy um we would rather have money coming in than not having a war and hank how is that the case? But uh, that is where we are. That is that is the state of British politics right now, is that we have to kind of go, we have to kind of go with the virtue, because if we don't, we are seen as the bad person, and we don't want to be the bad person anymore. We are this person who's sitting there grinning, waving whatever the current issue is flag, and, uh, and that's how we have to present ourselves, uh, like a little boy hiding in the corner, going, look, look, look I've got one of these flags, I'm supporting you. Um, and I think when it comes to, say, some of the other political stories that have kind of uh, rippled up over the course of the last few months, we've had David Cameron come back to um, into politics over here. He was a former prime minister who, of course, has been rubbing shoulders with the likes of Davos and the likes of uh, the World Economic Forum, who we know are not exactly the nicest of peoples. Um, and of course, he represents that globalist class. And here he is, you know, he's back in British politics again as a front face. Um, we've seen um, what happened with... Um, the Moderna is now back uh, on the press again. I, I saw a an account a few months ago saying that the the current case of COVID there was COVID Eris, there was COVID Fornax. These new um, Greek god named COVIDs are going to spread out. So Moderna has found itself back on the uh, the agenda again. We I, I went to my doctor's today and I saw. Um, you can get either your Pfizer jab, your your Moderna jab, and it's like you can choose which one, mix and match. And I was, what is going on here? The um, and I guess we saw back in, I believe it was October, there was a matter regarding energy crisis. Actually, it was an important one. It was how um, I believe there was, uh, the judicial court was trying to take the French government to court 
over its company called Total Energies, which is a petroleum multinational, over uh, ecocide, uh, which basically is damaging the environment. And if that was to become a uh, status quo, it would show that there is a way, uh, a, a legal precedent way that you could charge a country or a company for environmental damage. And if that was the case, also the UN were also on board with their own ecocide policies for what is happening in the Ukraine. And it will be a way to get Russia uh, locked up in regards to uh, in a political means is to uh, to stop uh, the fossil fuel projects um, and the climate killing policy. And so we've seen a, a multinational in France being going after Russia, being gone after the Ukraine going after if they enable these kind of uh, laws that are about the environment to happen, it would set a precedent that means you could go after any country, any company, any individual, anyone who damages the environment could then find themselves um, on the receiving end of um, uh, legal arbitration. And that sets an incredibly dangerous uh, precedent for anybody in the future. If they can get hold of uh, any individual say, well, you damaged your, um, you know, something at the bottom of the street, you know, you went over this, um, I don't know, some, some, some grass that you shouldn't have. Yeah, here you are going to be facing a fine. Um, they are, that's the kind of a political situation that companies, governments, individuals now will now find themselves in over the coming months. And I think that's going to be the way the, uh, the Green Deal is working out in terms of over the next three to four months, all these things in regards to um, the tipping point um, policies that the, they brought in now from um, the last... Um, event they just had COP28 as they as they all combine together as they all coalesce I think we all find ourselves in this kind of uh, again a combination between surveillance green tech energy and life um, and I don't quite think they all marry up quite well in a comfortable way uh, that makes living to be very comfortable for anybody uh, no, are they the kind of things that you've been seeing <laughs> well we've been we've been following that madness for a long time but it just reminds me of uh you know like in stasi east germany where they had all of these regulations the party would change you know all of these sort of rules and regs and just you know uh label labeling certain dissidents and so forth it would it would it'd be fluid it would change all the time and it would be used basically to you know target people to settle scores to knock out political opposition and that's what you have that's you have an overregulated uh society and the whole green framework and and look i'm 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 for a clean environment and i i will go and spend my time picking up rubbish other people's rubbish um even like national parks and things like that because i just can't yeah. stand to see it being like desecrated in that way or the beach for instance i mean i'm shocked yes. at some of the things i see not just in 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 the west but of course when you go overseas it's even worse but Turning it into a litigation fest is, to me, very dangerous. So, um, you know, why, 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 what isn't this energy being pointed at corporations, being pointed at the government itself, being pointed at the military? Because these are the biggest polluters on the planet, not individuals. So, I mean, we all should do our bit, you know, to keep things clean and whatnot. But you see, the biggest corruption, the biggest problems on that score are at an institutional level, not at an individual level. So we have plenty in place, at least in the West, to protect against that. But yeah, I just see that what you just described there, Christian, as a nightmare, basically waiting to be unleashed uh, on us as if we don't have uh, enough regulatory hurdles, shoots, and ladders as it stands today. 
Um, that's so yeah, we'll be pushing back hard on that uh, in, in 2024. But uh, yeah, we're going to wrap it up in a moment. Your final thoughts on the year and any other stories you want to bring to our attention, Christian? Uh, I think this year has been, uh, it's a year of chaos. It looks like a year of trying to get legislation passed. So it appears to be, if you look at what happened at COP28, it looks like they're not trying to get uh, everyone talking about it. It looks like what they want to do is get things legislated, get it on paper and black and white about how we are going to um, make the future look like, what, what, you're, what we are going to do now. And I think we've got to a point now where they it's now pushing for charges, pushing for costs, pushing for, for money and potentially jail sentences or whatever, you know, pushing uh, the line to make countries, make companies, corporations and individuals do exactly what they want to do. That has been this year's kind of uh, underlying technology has got to this point. This is now uh, the next perhaps three, five years. Um, it's going to be really interesting in terms of what they what they lay out now. I think their plans are there on the ground. I think it, it's we've ne- because of it, it now makes it really crystal clear what the intention is to do. And I think uh, the likes of TNT and likes of anything from the alternative media, it is now an open target to say, look, this is nonsense and you guys know it. And you can show a now wider a range of people who can look at it and go, you know what? You're absolutely right. We can see what happened with COVID. We can see what happens with this green energy movement. It appears to be, you know, it, it's an internal mess designed for a surveillance state. And it's, it's really obvious to see now. And you can talk to anybody and they, they get it now as where they didn't before. They thought it was a bit tinfoil conspiracy. No, I think it's really clear and apparent now. And I think because of that, people can act on it much easier. No, no, hundred percent. It's uh, there's there are people um, on the case, and this is good, especially on X on the X platform as well. There's a lot of great activists there. They're helping us collate some of this information. We're relaying it to you on this program as well. We also have a great research team uh, as well, like Christian James, uh, our guest today on this segment. Christian, uh, I hope you've had a great Christmas break. I hope uh, things are cool over the new year. And uh, we will reconvene uh, on the other side next week. So looking forward to that discussion. Uh, In the meantime, we're going to say goodbye. Thank you for joining us on TNT this week. Thank you very much, Patrick. I'll speak to you very soon. And a big thank you also to Mr. Basil Valentine, who we connected with uh, in the first hour. As usual, fantastic analysis and updates on the situation in the Middle East, in Gaza, and then also looking back at the political situation in the West, how these events overseas are going to shape political outcomes in the United States in britain in the european union and its member states as well these are really important things these are important issues that we deconstruct on this show because we connect those two things the international and the domestic and so that you can understand why all these are important stories because they shape policy they also shape election outcomes ultimately they may even decide who's going to be in charge of you in your life wherever you are in the world so you need to know and we're here to bring you that information that understanding those insights to educate you to inform you that's what we endeavor to do and we'll keep doing tomorrow we have a blockbuster guest i'm looking forward to the guest tomorrow we'll see we've almost got him confirmed this can be a great discussion on a number of things, not just the Middle East, but just in general uh, politics in Europe. We'll have that and more with Matthew Lee as well, legal correspondent. We'll see you tomorrow. Top of the hour news headlines coming up on TNT. I'm going now. I'm leaving, but you should stay on the network. There's much more, much more to come today on TNT. Take care.